what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. My name is Alan. With me, as always, is Chris. Yes, I'm here in mind and body, and I think spirit. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, two out of three is not bad. It's At least we've got week, you for most of, of it. Kind of like, you know, kind of my mind is already on Friday mode, but we'll, yeah. we'll see. Sorry, our new recording schedule we're kind of adapting to. Not that you guys at home really... It really matters. True. Uh, but we have kind of shaken up our little bit of when we record during the day. So maybe you'll find us at a better spot maybe. mentally. I don't know. We'll <laughs> see. See how it all goes. But this is Foot Candle Films. This is our show on the Mesh.TV network where we talk about movies. We review films. We discuss movie news. And we also end the show with our recommendations of films we think you ought to check out if you have not ever had a chance to see before or Maybe just a film you need to go back and revisit. Normally, Chris, we try to work on uh, two reviews an episode. That's kind of our standard. That's our thing that we normally stick to. Maybe a three, but mostly two. Today's a little different. We really just have one. Right. Although I may throw a curveball at you and ask you to give me an impromptu quick review of a film that I know you and I have both seen. Okay. And I'd love to kind of get some of your more unfiltered and unprepared thoughts on it, if that's okay. <laughs> oh, sure. But yeah. otherwise, we do have one film that we are officially going to be reviewing today. That is a film called The Phenom, uh, starring Paul Giamatti and Ethan Hawke. We'll be discussing in just a moment. Again, followed by movie news and then closing out with our recommendations. Uh, this is a podcast on the Mesh.TV network where you can check out all of our episodes online at TheMesh.TV. And of course, through iTunes, Podcast Store, uh, Google Play, I believe, has podcasts now, and uh, Stitcher Radio as well. So, Chris, are you ready to get into the show with our first and only main review today? Take me out to the ballpark. Oh, that's so that's so catchy. Hey. That's good. You you prepared that. That was nice. Yeah, <laughs> great. Yeah, well, the, cheesy, the, but not the film is the baseball quote: the baseball movie, The Phenom. You want to be the best? What time is it? Do you want to be the best? Yeah, sure. The time is now. What's the most fun you ever had playing baseball? When I was five or six. How do you think you can get pitching to feel that way again? That's the big question. You add millions of dollars to it and something changes. We have to be a little concerned with the rookie at this point. Throwing five wild pitches in one inning. Do you have any idea how much pressure I'm under right now? I can only talk to you and listen to you. I can't pitch for you. Do you think that your father had a lot to do with your success? Come on, go! Don't make me get up and chase you. Don't make me get up and chase you! Do not make me get up and chase you! Alan, we picked this movie to review based on... You You were the one that kind of said, hey... Let's review this movie. Yes. I've heard about it. Sounds interesting. You know, Giamatti, Ethan Hawke, let, you know, let's, let's do it. And 
coincidentally, this movie is one of those movies where they release it in theaters and it's all going to simultaneously released on iTunes. Yeah. You so can go on iTunes like now and right rent now. it. And it is both in limited theaters and on iTunes. So one is to wonder why was this movie done that way? Why mm-hmm. wasn't this movie released, you know, as part of the big summer box office rush? Like what, what's going on? Let me give you a brief little summary of what this mm-hmm. movie is supposed to be about. Major League rookie pitcher Hopper Gibson has lost his focus. After choking on the mound, he's sent down to the minors and prescribed sessions with an unorthodox sports therapist who pushes him to uncover the origins of his anxiety. Okay, that's, thank you, Letterboxd. That's their little, quick little summary. Now, to me, that could sound like very generic, like any other sports movie you've seen, Mm kind of like Goodwill Hunting meets baseball. Yes. Okay. Now, looking curiously, because we said this movie was available on iTunes, all sorts of reviews. They range from, oddly, five stars all the way down to one star. Sure. Some of those one-star reviews, extremely boring and dull movie. Thank you, Ziggy Scores. That was what he had to say. (laughs) Oh, Ziggy. Uh, Ziggy Scores. Then there's Yankees 1978. So you know this person's a baseball fan. His tagline was, terrible, awful. Mm -hmm. And then his little summary was, how does this crap even get made into a movie? (laughs) Avoid this movie like the plague. Not one, not two, not three, but four thumbs down emojis. Four thumbs down? Four thumbs mm. down. So, <laughs> and then some people, other people go on, you know, so it's, it's really. But it's, can I counter and remind everybody too, that the Rotten Tomato score, which is critic score, okay. as opposed to the users on iTunes that are rating it, that are sure. buying it for their own. Sure. The iTunes, the uh, critic score is like a 89%, pretty good almost universal praise from critics. So hearing this and, you know, we could claim that we are critics. We have our little license and diploma yes. somewhere, mm-hmm. but Alan, how would you account for this disparity between critics and what, you know, fans, average sure. movie goers on iTunes are saying, how would you account for this huge disparity of something that seems as simple as it's a baseball movie? Well, because it's not really a baseball movie. Okay. That's, that's the thing. I mean, Honestly, after watching this movie, I totally get the disparity between viewers and critics. Okay. This is not a baseball movie. I mean, I think you maybe see a minute of gameplay combined in the whole movie. You see a scoreboard one time, (laughs) you know, uh, it's just, it's not a sports movie. And I know I brought this film to you and Chris has said, Oh, I like sports drama movies. This is about baseball. I'd like to watch this. Yeah. So, it was different than expected. And I'm sure a lot of you viewers got into this film thinking, oh, it's a baseball movie about a young phenom who's trying to get his mojo back on the uh, playing, playing. And it's not a crowd-pleasing film in any way, shape, or form. Nobody's going to walk away from this movie saying, oh, man, that was a great sports movie. Hmm. Because it's not a great sports movie. I will say I really like this movie, though. Okay. And I'll tell you the reason I liked it is because I have a, I have a major issue with it that keeps me from loving the film. Hmm. But I will say that the world it's exploring is interesting to me. Okay. okay. And by that world, I mean young high school going, leaving high school to become a professional athlete, going through anxiety for a particular reason, exploring the home life of this athlete who is basically worth millions, but yet has a home life and a relationship with a father that would make him seem just like any other average kid growing up and in tough situations. The fact that he's seeing a sports psychologist to help with his issue. All of that world is fascinating to me. And I think the film does a really good job of exploring some of those themes. Okay. 
And I will say that I thought the acting was really, really good, almost across the board. I do have a major issue with the film is that I don't think anything is explored at all to any sufficient depth. I feel like there's a lot of surface exploration (laughs) and a lot of interesting dialogues and conversations stick together, stuck together. At the end, I wish it, I wish it meant more as a whole. In, in other words, I almost see this as like immersive and like, I want to explore this world, but I'm not coming out of it with any story, any, anything that gives me any sense of, of being able to tie together what I'm viewing. I'm okay with that, but it keeps it from being a really good movie. To me, it was just a really interesting hour and a half of watching some really good acting, exploring a really interesting environment and situation. Does that make sense to you? Yes, it does. Um, okay. And so I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I like the movie. Right. Uh, I would not recommend it to a lot of people because it is a, it's a, it's a acquired taste film. You kind of have to be in the mood to watch this kind of film. There's very dialogue heavy, uh, very relationship driven, very little sports. <laughs> you know, you could have easily made this film with the same themes about a different career path if you really wanted to. Or just about a kid getting counseling and he's not a baseball player. Just right. The fact that he's or getting or he's an entertainer. He's going to be a singer. Right. He's going to be something that has puts him in the public eye. Because I do think that's an important part of it is he is a, a, a celebrity figure. And that does play into the, into the, into the film. It does. But um, anyway, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. It, it's, it's, not a, it's not an easy movie for the, me to review. But I did like it. It's just I had some challenges with coming together with a really strong positive emotion for it. I I'm really surprised by this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, you know, I would be surprised if it doesn't figure into like maybe a top film of the year for me. Really? Yeah. Wow, you responded that that positively to Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And awesome. I don't, I don't in general go in for sports movies. They're just yeah. not my, you know, I don't really care about them. Um, I definitely don't like actively go seek them out. Um, haven't really seen that many except for like Field of Dreams, I guess. But um, <laughs> yeah, the fact that. This was, I mean, it was, it was more about fame, pressures mm-hmm. of fame, baseball's in it. And yeah, if you're looking for like a really baseball heavy movie or sports heavy movie, this ain't it. Oh no. Um, and I could see how that could be the problem. I think the people who were giving it one star ratings and iTunes, they were looking for kind of a, the natural yep. or kind of something. They well, even when you look at the movie poster and it's like the phenom, big text and right. the guy standing on the mound, you think about that. You're like, oh, I'm going to watch a baseball movie. And I think people coming out of that are probably the, the four, uh, downward pointing thumbs, <laughs> your thumbs down on right. the reviews. So, right. yeah. I mean, I think what sold me on the movie and actually scared me at first Mm-hmm. Um, I think if there's a downside of this movie, some of the construction isn't as maybe seamless or well thought out as it needs to be because, okay, this is a smaller movie, I think you can say. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see the names of Paul Giamatti and Ethan Hawke, who are both really big names, starts out and it's basically Paul Giamatti giving some counseling. And you're like, okay, so right off the bat, it's like they're starting out with mm-hmm. that. Then you basically have a long flashback. Mm-hmm. There's like all referential. And I was like, okay, so they made this movie. They basically have Paul Giamatti come in for like a day and do all his work. <laughs> yeah, all his work have, in the office. Yeah. yeah. And then, but, and then like, that's how they could do it because basically he's not in the film that much. And I was going to be disappointed if he was just bookends or something, yeah. but he's more than just bookends. He's and got I some other be key scenes. Before yeah. I saw Ethan Hawke pop up that he was also going to be kind of a bookended thing. And that's how they made this movie for so cheap. And I don't know the budget, but I'm just saying yeah. it's kind of a, an initial fear. It does appear with those two actors that their role was limited to certain key scenes that they could have filmed a lot quicker 
because of budget, I'm sure. It's we've got access to Ethan Hawk for three days. Right. Let's put him in these four scenes. Right. And, yeah. But I'll say what makes it. But it, you know that that fear slipped away because Johnny Simmons. I thought was amazing. Yeah, I agree. And I don't know that name. I don't know if he's been in other movies. He's not familiar to me at all. Um, the director has made a couple of other movies, none of which I've heard of. Yep. And I think this is like his sixth or seventh film. Mm -hmm. and the director is Noah Bushel. Um, but Johnny Simmons, who plays Hopper, well, Hopper Jr., Hopper Gibson, he's amazing. And he is willing to like, in the scenes where he's up again, you know, he's getting counseling from Giamatti, he holds his own. Mm -hmm. And both, it's not like both of them are lead actors at that point. There's not a supporting, they're like going head to head. And it is so interesting to watch the words going back and forth. Mm -hmm. Then when he's up with his father, who's played by <laughs> Ethan Hawke, yeah. those are amazing too. And it's just the subtle changes. And like, you know, at one point you can tell he's like, Mr. Cocky, he's an awesome, you know, he's a player, but then you can see his facade kind of start to mm -hmm. slip both in counseling sessions and with his dad, where you can tell he's kind of built up some protective layers and his dad says all this stuff. But they get knocked right off, down again. But mm. you can see that even though he's brushing it off and acting like you can still tell there's wavering. There. Oh, and I, so just the nuance is really is really amazing. And I just I felt like the fact that, you know, at the end all be all to me, it was kind of like if Dave, David Gordon Green. Yep. Made mm -hmm. kind of a I got a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we've referenced his name a lot. I'm kind of a big fan of his. But. Because he makes movies that have all these kind of themes, but then usually there's not a like a defined ending, like, okay, kind mm -hmm. of not a summing up, but like, and he doesn't really delve deep into a lot of themes. It's kind of just kind of meandering. But in a way, and his films are like, you know, realistic to life, mm -hmm. you know, the way he shoots mm -hmm. them and the way people act. Sometimes he uses non-actors. And that's how this felt to me is like, it's kind of like life. The movie ends and it's not necessarily resolved. No. And there's not definitely not a Hollywood ending, which I really liked because there's a, as the movie comes to a close, there's a typical scene in a Hollywood movie that you would think you'd have and you do not get that at all. Well, I was scared it was either going to go Hollywood ending, which you're right, it did not. No. Or I was scared it was going to go for the big shock ending that there were a couple moments it started to hit and maybe going in that direction and it had me huh. very worried kind of a dramatic shocking moment at the end and there uh, i can allude maybe i can we'll tell you spoiler territory yeah i can tell you a couple scenes that pointed you. right to that for me and huh. i got so nervous towards the end i'm like please please don't end the film the way i'm guessing you might do it hmm. and they didn't and i was so happy with that um the david gordon green analysis comparison is perfect because you're right it is it is more of your glancing through these relationships. And it's not meant to show you every encounter, every conversation. It's not to give you a lot of depth in each of those. Right. And even some of the flashing back between current and past was a little confusing at times. Yeah, sometimes it I mean, there's a couple of times I had to really try to figure out, are we back in the past or is this still happening now? Right. But at the end of the day, it's just, again, I, I, I guess my disappointment, my only disappointment in the film that I alluded to I guess I just wanted more. And I just felt like everything was so surface. Like we just get into a really good conversation and then we go to another scene and, or we just start up this, this encounter and I'm really liking these characters and I want to see where it's going. And I feel like it's like, okay, well we've kind of glanced between these and there's a lot of things I would love to spend more time with these characters on. And I just, it, it, it's a backhanded criticism is what I'm saying <laughs> is really, I wanted more time with these characters right. in these situations and I felt like at the end that I had a hard time kind of stitching together in my head, processing this as a whole. I saw it as glances. I saw it as moments. 
and I wanted, I would have loved something even more cohesive and even more detailed. It being an hour 25, it was a short movie, it's a pretty tight film, which is yeah. fine. I don't mind short movies at all, but could there have been another 15 minutes where I really felt like I got a little more depth into a few places? I would have appreciated that. But as it is for what I got for an hour, 27 minutes, um, with hardly any budget and no fanfare to the film, I thought it was a really, really good film. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you kind of picked it out mm -hmm. for us to review because I would urge, I guess I wouldn't push sports fans to, no. you know, I wouldn't strongly recommend it to sports fans, but I would strongly recommend this movie to a lot of people because I think it's it's really, to me, it's one of the best things I've seen in a while. Well, you know, the thing I, I think it is actually interesting, you know, maybe not sports fans, but people in the sport industry, I think, would probably find this pretty interesting yeah. because it does touch on a few points about fame and pressure and the public eye right. from a very personal standpoint. I mean, just, you know, him him kind of going down to the minors after he has this little bit of a, a break and just anxiety attack on him, well, kind of an anxiety attack. We never really see it being an attack. Right. It's just, you know, this happens in the first few minutes. He's throwing like five wild balls in a row. Right. And that just kind of brings them out of the game and they're like, okay, this kid's kind of losing it. Send them down to the minors. And you really kind of, you get a sense of what that's like for this kid. I mean, what he's having to kind of deal with all along. He's got the father. We haven't really talked about Ethan Hawke very much. Yeah. Um, he plays the father of, of uh, the, the, the young player here. He was himself a player. He is now on uh, leading a little bit more of a de destructive life, self-destructive life. And uh, I'm not, I normally am pretty critical of Ethan Hawke, kind of like I am with Ben Affleck. I kind of feel the same way about both of them. Okay. I think Ethan Hawke tries a little too hard in times. I thought even in films, like really good films like, well, good films like Boyhood, I just thought he just tries too hard hmm. to be acting or a cool actor. And here, I mean, he really, he really uglied himself up. And I this thought he was, my, he was good. Yeah, he was really good in this film. That he's done. I mean, you know, the, the movies that he's been in, like the the Before Midnight and mm -hmm. all that, you know, stuff, the Four Sunset and all that. Um, See, I don't like him in those films. I like the films really like a lot. The films, I yeah. just would have preferred a different actor you playing like the when role. He's playing cool. I don't like cool <laughs> Ethan Hawke. No, not at all. And I, I actually, think, you know what? I liked him in that movie Premonition that we reviewed a yeah. while back because he wasn't playing cool Ethan Hawke. He was kind of a weird, yeah, kind of an person. odd character. Oh, yeah. Here, he's playing a horrible character. Right. And he nails it. it. He is frightening in moments where what I loved is the fact that I and I'm not trying to play up any personal stories. I don't know them directly as family or friends, but I know people like him. Oh, sure. And the whole you, you're always on that edge of just losing it. Well, you know, and what's interesting is, you know, it doesn't ruin anything. Obviously, the way we've been talking about it, you can figure it out. He's not a nice guy. He's an alcoholic. He has issues. He causes the problems. And that's kind of revealed in the yeah, movie in the early it's scenes. It's pretty like, clear. It's his dad. Yeah. He's got some dad problems. And for the movie to just work with that and still be able to be about that for 88 minutes, it's interesting. And that's the thing about, like I say, I think it's one of the best things Ethan Hawke's done. He is a you know really mean person, but the way in which he portrays... Like you can tell, sometimes you think he actually thinks he's helping his son. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. You know, it's, it's an abusive father, but it's, it's an 
you know, and that's been done millions of times in film before, but it's just really interesting, you know, a layer performance. It's very, it's got a lot of depth to it. It's not the stereotypical, I'm just a drunk father, like in Hoosiers, where it's just, I'm the drunk father that just shows up drunk at games and gets my kid embarrassed. I nod my head. I think I've seen that movie, but it was a long time ago. Don't remember I know it's about basketball. Gene Hackman's in it. Um, okay, yeah, well, I'm, so. I'm going to get past that for a second. <laughs> so, because I know you, I don't think you've seen Rudy. I haven't seen Hoosiers. Oh my God. Have not okay. Have not seen well, um, well, his his performance is so, uh, just that moment that you, like you said, just for a moment you think, okay, wait a minute. No, he's really cares for his kid. He's really trying to help him. And then the next moment is, well, no, but he's still ultimately looking out for himself. He's okay. ultimately trying to make himself look good. And, you know. Something you know. that impressed me too, which it would have really impressed me had this been. The director's first film, which as it turns out, it's not. Yeah. I thought a lot of the shot selection and cinematography was really cool. Oh, it it basically, good. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see some of this guy's other films if he has the same style. A lot of times it would be these static one shots. And a lot of times you would see the back of a character's head and someone else would be like addressing them. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it could be somewhat of a long take. And it's like, wow, that's really interesting. For example, there's one that stands out in my head where uh, the player you know hopper's been in he's in a class like a high school class mm-hmm. and it shows him like during the class and then it cuts to a scene like at the end of the class where basically he's i don't know detention or he yeah. stayed after school and the teacher starts you know addressing him and walking towards the camera walking towards him at the mm-hmm. back of the classroom and it is a rather longish take but it's just like wow this guy's doing some interesting some stuff interesting- here and chris speaking of the shots too i was uh, there was one shot in the film when he's I can't remember if he's out on the mound or, 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 or what, you know, there's a reference earlier on. Somebody makes a comment. I think it may have been the Paul Giamatti character about how in old Hollywood, they would put the um, Vaseline on the lens to kind of soften up and all that. Yes. There's one shot where they do that Hmm. um, with somebody in the frame. I think it's with the main character off on the left-hand side. And I could tell his face just had, I could tell they had done whatever he'd refer to. And I'm sure it was a very intentional move to it, but there was a lot of interesting things going on. Well, there's, um, there's an interesting shot towards the beginning of the film, too, there about framing that I'm remembering. He's driving away from the stadium oh, after yeah. a failed – after mm. I think it's the initial thing where he did the five crazy pitches. Yep. And so he's driving away, and he's in his car, he's in, or it's in a big truck, and he comes to a stoplight, and there's a bus that has an ad for something. I don't know, but it has like a guy with a gun pointing a gun. And the way he pulls into the frame and lines up, it's like on one side of the frame, you have this guy's face in his car, and then you see the ad, and it looks like the guy in the ad is pointing a gun at right the his head. Yeah. Which, and again, we don't probably don't even need to get in spoiling territories on that. That one shot and then a couple other moments made me believe that the film was going to end with a certain action that luckily did not happen. Interesting. There was another film, too, or another part of the movie, too, where, again, it's a driving scene. And I, well, they're, yeah, they're just, there's so much there. Yeah. There's a with billboard. He and the girlfriend? A, uh, no, that's an interesting thing. There's another one where I think it's driving, but there's like a billboard of a giant eye. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it kind of references like the great Gatsby and how he always mm-hmm. saw like eyeglasses and eyes staring. It was like longing for mm-hmm. something like there's that thing. Wow. And then there's, there's an instance in a diner where he's with his girlfriend and the way that shot is like, you hear them talking and you're not really mm-hmm. sure where they are. And you just, it's kind of a wide shot. 
And it's just well, what was cool about it is kind of I didn't know instance just yeah. like that where it's like a wide shot and you hear dialogue and you're like, okay, where are they? In well, this in that frame? diner shot, what was cool about that is you didn't quite know where they were, but then when she starts saying. You know, you're always sitting in the corner mm -hmm. with your back against the wall. And as soon as I heard that, I'm like, oh, yeah, there he is, there back he is. in the corner and against back against the wall. So really just, clever stuff. Yeah, interesting yeah. stuff that, mm -hmm. like, there's a lot more there than just to dismiss this as, I don't know. And that's, that's for me, what says, like, it's one of my favorite movies of the year. Really, that's awesome. So I, 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 I think you're exceeding me in, in the love for it. And, <laughs> but, but I really, really, really like it. I just, okay. again, I'm so fascinated by the world. I'm so fascinated by the characters sure. that I would have loved a little more. And the ending, um, I liked, I'm still wrestling with it a little bit. I, I'm okay. Because the ending is, it does end abruptly. Right. And it does end on a, on a line that I'm still trying to figure out why end well, on that line. And I think there's a, yeah, and without trying to spoil stuff, yeah. there's a confrontation. Mm -hmm. And I like that it didn't have a Hollywood ending. Yep. So I liked that it didn't do that. But there was a confrontation, and they didn't let you know where that confrontation was going to fall. Yeah. It's like it just ended before the last couple lines of dialogue. Mm -hmm. like, it, was like, it was kind of like a Sopranos ending. Like it the was. Like the Sopranos where they just cut to black. It was. It was like it was a highly charged scene. It's a confrontation. And then you're like, huh. And the wonder. one character says something that could be taken a couple different ways. And I guess you're right. I wanted, I wanted to know which way it was going to be taken. <laughs> and I didn't know because it cut to black. And uh, again, I, I am fine with ambiguous endings. I'm sure. fine with abrupt endings. I, I, I think too many times we get fed perfect endings or Hollywood endings, and I hate that. So I'm fine with it. It's just... Afterwards, I kind of sat there after watching this movie last night for a few minutes and just thought, okay, what, what am I, what am I getting from this movie? What am I, what am I to process from it? Because right. I know I liked every performance I saw. I liked every scene I saw. I liked the camera work. I liked the directing. I liked everything about this movie. That one thing that just keeps me from saying I love it was just, I'm just trying to process it and just, what is it, what is it saying to me? And I haven't quite figured that out yet. Okay, so fair enough. mainly from that last, that last scene. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad you liked it. I, yeah. I, you know, we roll the dice with these iTunes new releases and that we haven't really heard of. And I hate to go on movies just because of movie poster or names on, on the, on the marquee. But I thought it had enough interesting things going forward. I did see the Rotten Tomatoes score was really high, but I also saw that the critic, <laughs> the uh, viewers was somewhat low. Sure. So very interesting film. I can understand why people may be frustrated by it. But I personally really, really liked it. It sounds like you loved it. So that's awesome. That's very cool. That's The Phenom. Um, that is on iTunes. I'm sure Amazon Video and other places where you can rent new movies online. And it may be in the theater near you. Could be. I really couldn't tell you where. And this is not going to make a dent in the box office anywhere. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that. So if you see this in a movie theater and you're interested, you better go that night because it's probably <laughs> not going to be there in two or three days. Sure. So that is The Phenom starring uh, Johnny Simmons, Paul Giamatti, and Ethan Hawke. Uh, we are going to actually take a very quick break. And when we come back, we're going to hit some movie news for you. Uh, but before we do, Chris, yes. I'm going to throw you a curveball. Okay. Because, you know, we got a little bit of time before our break. Baseball, you're throwing curveball. I'm throwing a curveball. Bunt. This is you. <laughs> this is you're up at the plate. Okay. Uh, I, I do want to throw a quick get your feedback review wise. And I know how you feel about this film because we've already talked about it. But I need a moment to rant. Uh, <laughs> I, I do have a surprise review I want to throw at you. Okay. You and I both were able to see the sequel 
to the classic magician film, Now You See Me, recently, which is called, wait for it, Now You See Me 2. But the two is a number two, so it's a sequel. Uh, when we first, I think you recommended Now You See Me as one of your recommendations a while back. I do not know if I did or not. You did. I did. Okay. Well, I'm pretty sure you did. Okay. If you didn't make an official recommendation, I you said I liked at it. some I point recommended the, the film during the show. Yes, yeah. you did. Okay. There, yeah, I, I, these are audio recordings that we make, and there is proof in of my, that. Like recommendations at the end of the show, but I think what it was was my like surprise for the year or something, and like okay. something like or like oh that may have been it. I think it, it may have been like surprise for the year, end of the year. So you're right. Analysis. I didn't like it. Wasn't one of my listed recommendations, but yeah, I can't but get you, away from it. But you there's liked an audio, it. There's an audio record. But I also know you went back and revisited it not too long ago and had a much lesser opinion of it after that. I did. Well, see, I I did not like. Now you see me. I really did not like Now You See Me too. Um right. Where at least Now You See Me, the first one, I could kind of discount as, eh, it's dumb, sensational uh, filmmaking, doesn't really do much for me. I didn't care for it, but I've forgotten about it already. But now when you bring a sequel to me and my nine-year-old kid who loves magic and wants to go see a magic movie uh. is excited to go see it, I take him to go see it. And I'm just going to tell you, I, 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 this movie to me is a, is, is a sad state of where we are in cinema today because this is probably one of the poorest written films I've ever seen. You're talking about the second one. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The second, the first one was not a great written masterpiece in no. any way, shape or form. This one is absolutely mind numbingly bad yes. in the writing. Yes. And then you've got actors that you know are just there because there's a nice big fat paycheck involved for them. They have no interest in these characters whatsoever. None of the, and here's the biggest issue for me about any movie about magic. If you're going to make a movie about magic, we know that CGI, you could fake anything you want to. CGI is a great tool for creating environments that we would not normally be able to see naturally on our own. Okay. Right. But magic, the art of magic is we're supposed to watch somebody perform a trick and still wonder how did they do that? And I don't care if you use trick photography or other things to give me the illusion of a true magic trick on film. Right. But when the magic tricks are so blatantly CGI fake, fakely done, right. it takes all of the energy out of a, a film about magic to me from the beginning. So one of the very first tricks I see that they do, and it's just there is no absolutely no way you can trick me into believing that trick happened without computer animation. Right. Okay. Jesse Eisenberg playing, I don't even know the character's names, plays the leader of the, this horseman group. Right. And, you know, he has one trick where he's making rain. This is a moment where I actually thought the film might be doing something right, where he has a trick about rain falling out in this open place in London. And everybody's amazed. How is it raining all of a sudden? He made it start raining. And then the rain starts kind of looking like it's going back up. He actually says, hey, this is how we just did it. It's strobe lights and all this. And you've been kind of in a trick. And I'm like, oh, wow. They actually had a scene where it's a legitimate trick that they showed you that it was a trick and it wasn't just all computer fakery to do it. Right. And then he falls down and basically turns into a giant water puddle. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you just ruined it again. It's like, right. I just don't understand if people are going into this film and enjoying it. It's really just, you have to just completely turn your brain off and not think about anything you're seeing. Right. And I don't mind doing that for a lot of films that I just think are just brainless fun movies. But when I have to turn off every synopsis in my brain to get through a film, I think it's got a real problem with it. 
So that's been my rant. Chris, do you echo my feelings? Is this movie as bad as I'm making it out to be? Because unfortunately, the reader, the viewers on IMDb are giving it a higher score than the Phenom. So right away, that's what tells me is the problem with cinema these days. Okay, so to try to save face, I'll go back and say, now you see me. Mm -hmm. The original. The original formula. (laughs) It definitely helped to see that movie before I knew anything about it. I think I saw it opening weekend. It was in the midst of a summer and it was your typical, as you mentioned, typical dumb summer blockbuster, big movie, lots of stars in it. And it didn't bother me because it was like in a magic trick. I wasn't, I knew it wasn't real. It didn't bother me. I was kind of along for the ride. Yes. Some unbelievable things happened, but Mm -hmm. I just kind of passed it off. Sure. So, you know, I was like, Oh yeah, I like the movie. Well, that's because I'd only seen it once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I went back and saw it twice, I was like, I, you know, I saw it at home and I was just like, yeah, this really doesn't make sense. And it just, it was just terrible. But I was like, well, you know, at least I, at least I liked it once. Then I go to see Now You See Me Too. Any element of surprise or cleverness that was in the first movie with the reveal of who certain people are, like they were just aching to try to do something like that. And Now You See Me Too. And the way they had it happen was just like at the end was like, really? Like you could see it coming from a mile away and it was just disappointing. Um, and the thing too this is movie that just makes me mad. <laughs> and I can see what you say about the tricks. And I like Woody Harrelson. Um, I think he was fine in the first movie. Part of him is fine in this movie, but for some unknown reason. And that was when this movie, okay. You know, I was already irritated because I saw it just like, you know, they can't leave good enough alone. The first movie, if you don't think about, oh yeah, it was fun, but they take an idea that was flimsy to begin with and they make a sequel that's even worse. And when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh my gosh, that looks terrible. My kids are going to want to see it because they liked the first one. I'm going to have to go see it. It's going to be terrible. So I was a little worried going to the film. I was worried watching it. And then when it completely jumped the shark (laughs) in the worst way possible, was when Woody Harrelson had a dual role as the character we already know, and then his twin brother? That Which, was yeah. so bad. I mean, it wasn't... At first, I was like, okay, it's going to be laughably bad, but this movie's not supposed to be a comedy. It was... Oh, well, and it to, was to, play so a, to play a twin evil character, twin, or evil, evil twin, twin evil twin, that has Gosh. absolutely no bearing in the movie whatsoever. No. Like his role could have been completely taken out and nothing would have changed in this no, film. Absolutely not. It's just almost like Woody Harrelson said, okay, yeah, I'll do it, but I want to play two people. And maybe he said, give I'll me a funny it, wig, but you gotta, you gotta pay me this much. And like, well, we can't pay one actor that much. He's like, ah, but how about if I play two roles? You're like, okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> so just go do like, it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, man. It yeah, was bad. Just, it was, it was, well, bad. and I'll just say this too. And I, I, I feel bad even saying that I'm not going to spoil this movie because I don't really care. I mean, you, <laughs> you, you guys could watch, much. you guys could you watch, but I won't spoil it. But I oh. want to say that the end trick, the big one that we build up to, the minute it happens, the minute it's happening, I'm thinking to myself, so not the, there just is the Eisenberg water. Oh, no, oh, no, 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 okay. no, no, on yeah. the plane, on the plane. The, as it's happening, I know exactly what's happening. I'm like, yep. I know. Okay. This is a trick. I get it. And I'm thinking to myself, as soon as it starts to click into place, I'm like, there is no physical possible way that this could ever have happened. And when they come out of the plane and they explain this big trick and all this, and it's like, you realize how much of the city of London has banded together (laughs) for some reason to help this trick happen within a 24 hour period. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, my 
God, this is insane. <laughs> I mean, and yet we're supposed to, as Does an it audience, make the Brexit any more makes sense. Is that- <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, this is a political commentary. I get it now. So, um, they're just, willing to follow oh. the, four, the the horsemen, the four horsemen, so they are willing to follow the Brexit. And that's that's the thing is that they had 24, maybe 36 hours to pull all this together. Okay. To pull together the most elaborate light show I've ever seen in my life. To pull together four different locations around the large city of London to pull right. together elaborate tricks. And then there's going to be a giant illusion on the water, the Thames River, in the middle of London, right. involving a giant airplane involving thousands of people that had to have helped help make this happen. And you're telling me you pulled this together in a day. <laughs> <laughs> and see, the thing is, oh. you know, I can hear people, some defenders out there. I know they're out there apparently because this has a higher Rotten Tomatoes. They say it's a movie, suspend your disbelief. And that's the thing is, if the movie's well made, you can't. Yep. Or you do. Right. I, I think Alan's saying I, the script and all this other stuff was falling apart and then added on to that. You couldn't suspend your disbelief. They just kept asking too much. You know, I, I figured out exactly how they could have made this movie bearable for me. <laughs> and really, this is – and this goes along with the suspension of disbelief Take thing. out the twin of Woody Harrelson. Well, <laughs> um, if these magicians actually had real magic powers. Uh, okay? That yeah. changes everything. Sure. If all of a sudden you tell me that these four horsemen are somehow gifted with these magic powers that this magical society has given them over the years and now they're developing them and using them and so we're watching real magicians actually do real magic and right. all this stuff works, I'm totally bought in. Got you. Perfect. I still think the Woody Harrelson twin's stupid. <laughs> I still think the writing's stupid, but I can at least appreciate I, I the film. It. Yeah. Because it's like, all right, fine. Yeah, yes, I'm going to see the realm of reality. I'm going to see ridiculous husband. magic that could never happen, but I buy it because these people are Harry Potter. They're like, right. they've got magic. Right. You got know? You. That's where the suspension of disbelief comes in. And Harry Potter was in this movie. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that was a spoiler. I mean, now he's in the, yeah, he's yeah, in the trailer. Yeah, Everybody knows that. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I just, I know I kind of threw this one on you, but. I know you and I both saw this and I just, I have to say this to the audience, please don't let the future of cinema be now you see me movies. Okay. <laughs> we, we deserve more. We, and you should like more than this. I mean, if you are the one, the ones that came out of the movie saying that was an awesome movie. Okay. I'm glad you enjoyed it. That is great. All walks for all people, every kind of taste of film, Sure, but we can do better <laughs> as a society. We, writers can do better. Directors can do better. Actors. Can, we can all do better. And this film to me is a perfect example of what not to let the future of cinema be. I, you know, we've talked in the past about how we have letterboxed accounts and we keep tracks of movies that we watch. Um, I'm really proud of my one sentence summary <laughs> yeah, that I wrote good. for this movie. Yeah. So I'll end my thoughts, which, you know, I think they're both of our thoughts on this movie. My thing was no amount of sleight of hand could keep this from looking like anything but a money grab. And that's, and that's it. And scene. <laughs> yeah. Done and done. Nicely done. All right. Now we are officially going to take a quick break. We will right. come back. We will do some movie news and wrap up with our recommendations of the show. Stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films. <laughs> Local authors, illustrators, and storytellers come together to create Storytime Station at The Mesh. Storytime Station is a video podcast that works as a virtual storybook. Each show features a new children's book and new reader. So gather the whole family to listen, learn, and laugh at Storytime Station on TheMesh.tv. Welcome. 
Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. I am Alan. This is Chris, as my index finger is pointing across the table Hello. from me at the other microphone around me. Uh, we just did our reviews of The Phenom, both highly recommending this film, both Chris and I. Chris calling it one of his favorites of the year, which yeah. makes me very happy because, again, I'm happy that we found this little hidden gem of a film and maybe we can really promote it and get people to see it. Yeah. Um, then we talked about... On my <laughs> quick demand, uh, Now You See Me Too, which we both hated. Yes. And I uh, think it may be the downfall of cinema society for the next several generations. So um, I think that may be. So we have Chris saying what one of his favorite movies of the year might be. Might yep. be I think it's safe to say that Now You See Me Too might be both of our least favorite films. Well, it's definitely mine as of right now. As of right now, it's definitely at the bottom of my list. Sure. So. So, Chris, at this point in the show, we normally talk a little bit about some movie news. We do have some news items to kind of cover, and just you and I both have a couple news items that we want to bring to each other's attention. We get some reactions, talk about it. Are we interested? Do we care? We'll see where we go with this. I wanted to start us off in the news section here talking about the film Warcraft. Okay. So, I'm not going to talk about the film necessarily itself because I haven't seen it. Neither have I. Okay. You were actually somewhat anticipating this film. I was. Uh, Warcraft is based on a video game. It's a, a multi, uh, multiplayer world-building type of game that's been around for years. I played it many years ago. My 14-year-old son played it many years ago. I've um, never played Never played it. it. It's fun. It's a great game. And it was kind of that whole thing that got people into this whole idea of building a character and going out in the world of Warcraft. And it is, I can watch the trailers for this film. It's like, oh, yeah, I recognize that city. And, oh, yeah, that recognize that creature. It's cool. And, you know, Duncan Jones directed it, son of David Bowie, who did Moon and did Source Code, right. uh, which I like both those films. I love Moon. Both those Source Code I thought was really good, too. Yeah. So uh, box office performance on the film has not been good here in the United States. I think it opened in the United States with $24 million, which – Sounds like a lot of money, but when your price tag on your on your budget is like $180 million, I believe, wow. um, that's not good at all. And normally that would be treated as a huge, huge bomb, like right off the bat. If your film costs $160 million and in your first weekend you made twenty four, shut her down. You've lost you, – you got to write this baby off on your, on your year-end reports. Right. Here's the interesting thing, and this is – I'm curious where this is going to go in the future. In China, it's breaking records left and right. So in China, it made $65 million in its opening weekend. Mm. And it's made a total so far over a four- or five-day period, $160 million. So it made back its budget right. in China in five days. Now, granted, the United States, we may end up with $50 million total box office on this thing when it's all done. Mm -hmm. You add that to China and any other countries. All of a sudden, it's a bomb here in the United States. But it actually is a money-making movie. So well, I think that's what's been going on with all the Transformers movies. I mean, yeah, that actually is a little bit. Now, granted, they've been better performing in the United States than Warcraft was. Sure. But it's this whole idea of catering to this international audience. Sure. And the idea that we may be seeing sequels to films or other films of a genre that we think here in the United States, I don't understand why they're making this. Like if they had announced tomorrow War Warcraft 2, most people in America would be like, why? Like <laughs> nobody here saw it. Right. The people who saw it didn't really care for it. Didn't get great reviews, made no money at the box office. Why are they making a sequel? Well, they're probably making a sequel because China gave them, you know, all their budget back right. by one country alone. So I'm just, I, I just think it's interesting. It's not anything I necessarily have any thoughts on other than I'm just curious to see where this whole globalization of films is taking us. And if we're going to see a lot more sequels and genre pictures 
that we don't that studios know for a fact are probably not going to make it big in the United States. Sure. But they're still being here, made here, or released here, and then we see that they make gamebuster business in other countries. It's just going to be an interesting, interesting situation with that. So I don't know. Yeah, know, thoughts I think on it's that. Interesting. I mean, um, I'm glad that it has made money in China, just because I would hate to see it in the career of Duncan Jones. Not that I true. think it would. Yeah. Because you know, I think he's his first two movies are really good. Like, oh, it's a misstep. And well, and he, it's a big budget CGI movie. You know, a, 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 an acclaimed. Small independent budget director go jumping to a big CGI video game. Right. Everybody's going to give him a pass if this didn't work out. And this took a long time to make, too. It's been on the docket for you've, I've heard it teased for like almost a couple of years now. Yeah. So I'd, I'm disappointed it wasn't better. I still plan on seeing it. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that an overseas market could make it bounce back so hard. That's, that's kind of crazy. I just, I just think it's really going to be interesting if you're a studio executive and you're saying, all right, so we've made you know 250 million on Warcraft. Um, we we made back our budget. We, we you know, maybe covered marketing and promotion costs, and we actually made some money on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, are we going to green light another one? What would be interesting to me is if Duncan Jones came back for the second one. Yeah, that would be really interesting. Because I, I, I can't I mean, imagine. Would you would. assume they're going to make a second one? Well, according to the people who saw the film. The film is a lot, and that's probably one of the reasons a lot of people had crit- a criticism of it. It's a lot more of a setup film. Ah. In other words, I think the intentions were we we're going to build a series of films off of this. So a lot of people have said that if they don't make another film, it actually makes this one even worse because you're watching a whole lot of setup that doesn't go anywhere. Huh. Um, so from that standpoint, it'd be interesting if they made a sequel and see how that performs internationally. I can't see why Even Duncan. more interesting if Duncan Jones made this. Well, I can't imagine Duncan Jones would no, be involved. I mean, you got to look at this. He's, you know, the film's getting slammed left and right here in the United States. No matter how much money it's making overseas, they got to be throwing a huge paycheck his way sure. to keep him to do a sequel at this point. And I don't know if they've really got the money to do it off of kind of the performance or worldwide total, you know. Well, and I, I wonder too, you know, there's supposed to have been, because, you know, a lot of people did play this game. Warcraft. A lot of people apparently still play this game. And I wonder, coming from an outsider, like I thought for a while the reason it was getting bad reviews is because basically not a lot of people play the game anymore. And the only people that liked it were the people that still played the game. And maybe that's why the things were so low. So somebody like me who's never played the game, if I go see it, I would hate it. But, you know, I I don't know. It's it's not knowing the subject matter at all. Would Mm. it make sense? Would it, you know, just be like nothing but a setup for a ripoff? And like, I don't know. So. Yeah, it's really it's just interesting. I'd just be curious to see if we see our films and the quality of films released here in the United States that may not match with American audiences as much. Right. We see a lot more of those films coming out that just don't resonate here, but are making great money everywhere else. So they just say, well, let's just throw it on the screens in the United States and see if we can get any money out of it. <laughs> you know, right. almost like we become the afterthought on the on the films, which I don't have a problem with. Hmm. The America's kind of been the front runner on big box office movies, but can you imagine in the future maybe blockbusters opening in other countries and we become almost like the afterthought the later on. Yeah. Well, actually it's interesting. You mentioned that because I do follow Duncan Jones on Twitter mm-hmm. and because I'm a big fan of source code and moon. Yeah. And when, you know, he'd been talking about this film forever and that's the only reason I was interested in seeing it. But I remember when he started mentioning the premieres and it premiered in other countries first mm-hmm. before. And I was nervous. I was like, wait, it was like a week before or maybe two weeks before it premiered here. It was maybe in Thailand or something like some other. And I was like, man, he, they were, you know, he 
did all this promotion. I was like, man, that's weird. I wonder why it's not premiering here mm -hmm. first. Now I know why. Yeah, I think I think they kind of knew <laughs> so, that they would get a better audience yeah, would, in Asia. That would be an interesting shift yeah. if blockbusters start becoming you know, the thing that premiere overseas, then yeah, they'll play here, but if it doesn't make any money, who cares? No, they, they don't mind it. Yeah. It would be interesting if we became, if America then transitioned to being like the art house generating nation. I'm okay that with that. But it'd be interesting. It's just, I think it's just more, it's nothing I can build a theory off of or whatever. It's just no, more it's, interesting. You know, right. I think more than anything else. Cause even things like, which I've got a lot of criticism for it, but wasn't it the, the trend, well, yeah, the Transformers movies where they have a lot of scenes that take place in China or take place because they had a China lot of Chinese backers, a lot of investment money coming from China. And so then it goes over there and makes all this money. So that, yeah, it's interesting. So I, that to me was interesting. I think that may be a little different situation because that's where the, the criticism was they're catering the film too much to the Chinese audience because major Chinese investors put a lot of money into the, the production. So it's okay. almost like. They have to do this because that's where their money's coming from. Gotcha. With with Warcraft, I don't know if any money came from Chinese investors. It was more of a, we think we have a chance of, there's a good population in, in China that would probably want to see this movie because of what it is and the game and all that. Let's go try releasing it over there. And wow, it went gangbusters, gangbusters you yeah. know, so very, very interesting. Um, Chris, what's, a, what's another news story you've got for us? Well, Ron Howard. You know, yes, director. I am aware of him. You, you've heard of him, Opie. Yes, um, <laughs> he's made a couple of films. He has, and you know what? He's a pretty good director. You know, I don't say any of his films really jump out to me as like, oh, I'm a, a big fan of his. But I hadn't heard from him in a while. He'd kind of fallen off the radar. Yeah. Um, then I just saw recently his next film is a documentary, hmm. and it's coming out in September of this year. Okay, and it's on the Beatles. Really. And the title, brace yourself because it's kind of long, The Beatles, hyphen, eight days a week, hyphen, the touring years. So mm. I did, they have a trailer out, and I don't usually watch trailers, but it's like a documentary figure. They can't really spoil anything because it's history and mm -hmm. who the Beatles mm -hmm. are. And it looks like it's focusing on, and obviously two Beatles are gone, so they are only talking to Paul and Ringo. Mm -hmm. But I think they do have like clips or maybe things that, you know, the other two Beatles said, but it's focusing on the very early years when the Beatles actually toured, when they were really young oh, yeah. and like their early stuff. Cause you know, after a while they just quit yeah, and all studio they did was work studio only. Movies. So you kind of get a feeling. And from the sense of the trailer, it's like, this is, you know, we were touring to get, we, and we got famous. And then the results of that made us never want to tour. Like they kind of talk about how they depended on each other yeah. and it was a family and kind of like the dynamics of that. Hmm. I don't know. It's just, I like the Beatles anyway. I'm a big yeah. fan of their music, but just, you know, to say, okay, we're going to talk about the Beatles, but we're going to talk about this period Which is, of time. And that's the kind of documentaries too, I love because, because you can get so in the depth. Early with them. years when yeah. they were playing like the Cavern Club and like before they were not. No, this is following them when they were touring big. Yeah. But before they stopped, and it's like this one little niche period in time. I don't know. I'm kind of. I'm really interested to see. I, I love it when documentaries, it. musical documentaries, focus on a particular period of time. Sure. Instead of trying to cover. The whole gamut. Dramatic films the same way, especially with musicians. You know, we've kind of commented on how some of the musical biopics, you feel like they're just trying to cover the entire career in a two-hour block. Right. I'm much more appreciative of just tell me about this one period of time and really go in depth about it. So um, that's really cool. I was looking at his filmography. You know, he actually did another documentary did back he? in 2013. Okay. Which I did not. One called Made in America. Um, I haven't heard of it. 
It's, wow, it's about hip-hop artist Jay-Z organizing the Budweiser Made in America Music Festival, what? directed by Ron Howard, just from three years ago, 2013. Huh. What was his his release before that? So uh, film-wise, you know, director, like, dramatic film, I was sure. just looking at that. Uh, the last film that actually came out of the theaters was in The Heart of the Sea, 2015, ah. which didn't do anything. Right. Um, okay. Before that was Rush. Uh, Which was good. And we reviewed it. We reviewed it. I liked it. Yeah. I, I thought like Rush that. was good. Okay. Before Rush was The Dilemma. And that was the one with Kevin James and, uh, um, um, oh my gosh. Vince Vaughn? Vince Vaughn. Never saw it. That one, that, I'm looking at a filmography and you could start to tell where he started to kind of miss okay. a little bit more with the audience. I think. This is the guy that brought us Beautiful Mind. Oh, yeah. Well, he had a run for a while. I mean, sure. listen to this. He went from uh, doing Cocoon, Splash, Cocoon, Gung Ho, Parenthood, Backdraft, Apollo 13, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, A Beautiful Mind, Cinderella Man. Mm -hmm. And then he did The Da Vinci Code. Then he did Frost Nixon, which I really liked. Yeah. Um, then he did Angels and Demons. I forgot that he did Frost Nixon. Yeah, he did Angels and Demons, the Da Vinci Code sequel. Sure. I think that's where it started to decline from there. Then he did The Dilemma, which nobody saw. He did Rush, which was good. Mm -hmm. He did In the Heart of the Sea, which nobody saw. And now he's got coming out uh, Inferno, which is the third Dan Brown movie, the, the Da Vinci Code one. Mm. And he's got this Beatles documentary coming out. So um, mm. interesting. Yeah. I, I didn't take him to be a music documentary documentarian, but obviously this is the second one. Hmm. So maybe there's something there. Maybe he's kind of into, into making those. Yeah. So. I'm interested to see it. Yeah. That's awesome. I like Ron Howard just because he's done enough movies. I admire and sure. like they're crowd pleasing movies. Most of the time. Uh, I do think Apollo 13 is a really good movie. I like it. My kids like it. It's fun for all of us to watch together. Sure. So, you know, it's good. Um, okay. So, <laughs> I, I got to slip in just one piece of news about something comic book movie related. So um, we have talked many, many times over the past several years about the character of Spider-Man on movies. Yes. We reviewed Spider-Man movies, not yes. pleasantly in a couple of cases. <laughs> uh, we've talked about movie news regarding him. Um, we have talked about him with regards to the whole civil war movie that he was in and this right. new one. So I've just, they've been announcing more and more casting for this new movie. Okay. They're doing a new version, new character, whole new reboot thing. Using and the one that was in the Avengers. That's correct. Okay. Uh, Tom Holland. Or Civil War. Who everybody seems to really like. He got really good reviews for his work in that Civil War movie. And uh, so now he is the new, the new Spider-Man. There is a Spider-Man Homecoming is the name of the movie. It's all going to be sitting around a prom. I, I, well, it's all high school. So, I mean, I think there is a little bit to that kind of a, they're trying to weave in words that have some connotation to high school in gotcha. some way. So they made a, uh, they made an announcement of a, another actor added to the, to the cast. Uh, do you remember the TV show Cagney and Lacey? Uh, barely. Okay. Tyne Daly, who yeah. was, uh, she gypsy. was, she was gypsy on Broadway. Oh yeah. And she was Lacey in Cagney yeah, and Lacey. Okay. So, they announced just yesterday that she has been cast in the Spider-Man Homecoming movie. As a villain? Don't know. That would be amazing. She's like a high school teacher that turns into like this big evil Black Widow villain. Get it? Spider-Man versus... But that'd be amazing. No. Spider-Man never had a villain called the Black Widow except for the Black Widow from the Avengers who crossed over and was ultimately right, a good person. But anyway. What if they did? But Chris, they can't. Okay, so just... just 
Stop with it. <laughs> and she could sing and like shatter glass and like. Yes. Why don't you go direct a Spider-Man Broadway play? Because it, it sounds be like amazing. that may be more of your speed on that. Which they um, have a Spider-Man Broadway play. And I know. YouTube that's exactly what I was referring yeah, to. So because that sounded like that was pretty bizarre <laughs> as well. Um, okay. No, Michael Keaton is the villain. Hmm. They've already cast Michael Keaton. And the rumors are that he's going to play the vulture. Which, if you think about it, it's kind Bird of funny. Man. Birdman playing the vulture. I'm good with that. I like Michael Keaton. I like to see him be a villain. It'd be fun. Now, here's my concern with Tyne Daly. I think I know what they're going to do with Tyne Daly. Really? Yeah. Look at the picture of her that they put. I'm showing a picture. I know this is an audio podcast. I'm showing Chris the picture. I think I know which character they're going to give. I think they're going to recast her as J. Jonah Jameson and make her female. Mm. Even this picture. I just think, yep, I could see it. She's brash. She's kind of authoritarian. She's kind of loud. Yeah, because um, Aunt B is taken. Aunt May. Aunt May, I'm oh, sorry, Aunt B. Chris, <laughs> Chris, you're killing it's, it's, me. <laughs> it's the whole, it's the whole uh, mentioning Opie. So yeah, there is they, at least a connection. I can give um, you that. It was a, it was a forty, it was a slip. You know, um, um, Aunt May. Yeah, Aunt May's already been cast. That's Aunt Marissa Tomei. Right. Right. There's really there's an Aunt Anna. I'm really showing my comic book Greek geek cred right now, but there's an aunt Anna who is Mary Jane Watson's aunt, I believe, or yeah. They both live with their aunt. No, she don't live with it. She comes to visit her aunt and that's how she meets Peter in the, in the comics. Anyway, aunt Anna is friends with May, aunt May. So they're, they're two friends. Um, I don't, but, but there's so much of a gap of time of age between Marissa Tomei and time daily. So I don't think these two would be friends. Right. Okay. So no, I started thinking, I think, what else could it be? I'm like, I bet you they're going to go edgy yeah. and say, you know what? We already had the perfect male J. Jonah Jameson with um, J.K. Simmons. J.K. Yeah, Simmons. and there's no way. You're right. You they can't to top that. No, so no, let's break the mold. She's going to be a female. Why not be a female? Yeah. I, if you are wrong, I would be very surprised. Because the thing I think is, that, I think you're. I think because you're her initials are J.J. Jameson. Just give her a different name. Right. She can be whatever. Jessica Jameson. Jessica Jameson. Right, yeah. Yep. I think that's where they're going to go. That is my prediction. As soon as I saw the picture and I saw that, I'm like, that's totally where they're going to go with that. Hmm. Loud, cigar chomping, you know, always screaming at Spider-Man. That's her. That's going to be her. Having her chomp a cigar would be amazing. I mean, she even kind of, the hair already looks kind of like the the hair. You know, it does a (laughs) little bit. So anyway, that's my prediction. I'll be curious to see if I'm right or not. Okay. All right. Um, Did you have another news item? Well, I was just going to mention. No, oh, um, I know what you're going to mention. Yeah, it's on a, on a sad note. Anton Yelchin, mm. who's you know, 27 years old. Most people probably know him from the role that he played in the newer Star Trek movies. Um, the first Star Trek and then Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, but yeah, he, he died. He was only mm-hmm. 27 years old. Kind of That's a freak crazy. accident, apparently. Um, we... I don't know if we reviewed it on the show, but he was also in Only Lovers Left Alive. And we didn't review that, and I have not seen that one yet, but I know you saw it, and you liked it. No. I did. Yeah. And I think the thing, too, is just this year, they, he came out with another movie called Green Room yeah. and was getting a lot of talk. A lot of people liked the movie, A, and then B said his role in it was really good. And it's kind of one of those things where you could really see his career building and building and building. Yeah. Um, but it just a, it's such a shame. It's such a, I mean, a freak accident and just not, you know, not the kind of news you want to hear on the, on the news when you hear about the stuff. I hate, you know, I hate, obviously, you know, nobody should go in a really freak accidental way. Sure. Um, it's sad when you see somebody who's still kind of in the prime of his life or emerging in the prime of his life and could really have made an impact on the film community. He's got, 
six films still coming out. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. He's, he's, a busy guy, he's so. finished. Uh, there's a film called Rememory. There's one called We Don't Belong Here. Star Trek Beyond comes out this summer. Porto and Thoroughbred. So, I mean, okay. he's got several films that we're still going to see him in we'll movies for a while. Uh, but it's going to be tough to yeah. see that now. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, well, you know. Uh, rest in peace, Anton Yelchin. So sorry to have lost you so so young and early. So, so after finishing up our news, we move into the recommendation section of the show. This is where Chris and I pick out one film each that either we've caught back up with recently or just remember and want to bring back to our attention. Something that may have been overlooked, needs to be remembered, needs to be watched again, whatever it may be. And uh, Chris, is okay if I go first? Sure. Is that all right with you? Um, mine's, I'll tell you, mine's a little bit of a cheat. Uh-oh. We are, and I know in podcast theory, maybe you shouldn't be hyping and promoting another podcast, but I'm going to do that. Ah. Film Spotting is a film, is a podcast you and I, Chris, have listened to for years. Yes. Big fans of. Yes. And it's actually kind of a little bit of the inspiration for us getting together and saying, hey, you know what? We want to do a podcast too. But I will gladly point people to Film Spotting and say, yeah, yeah. that is a really good podcast to absolutely. listen to about film. Just don't give up on us. <laughs> no, 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 no. Absolutely. I mean, in addition to us is what I'm trying to say, not in replacement of us. Uh, they did a, a, a really in-depth review and discussion of a film recently that prompted me to go back and watch again. And that's mm-hmm. Wes Anderson's The Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, um, I am shocked that I have not made this one of my recommendations. But I looked through my list, and I don't see it anywhere on the list. Okay. Now, you astute listeners out there, if I missed it and I have recommended this film before, or Chris even, if you remember me recommending it, please let me know. But I look back through my letterbox list of film recommendations that I have not kept up to date recently. But I did from episode one, at least through the first couple of years, I did. I know we've talked about it on the show, but I don't know if we've outright recommended it. Well, I'm going to recommend it regardless and just say right off the bat that I had a chance to go back and see this again. I always loved this movie, but I had not seen it in many, many years. And listening to three people on a podcast talk about it in depth and really get into the nuances of the film, I said, you know what? I want to watch it again. So last weekend I watched it again and man, I just, I love this movie even more after watching it again and just really paying attention more to the details this time. Hmm. Um, I think that this may be one of the best acting performances by Gene Hackman period acting performance, but definitely by him. I love every moment that Royal Tenenbaum is on the film Hmm. and every comment he makes in every line of dialogue actually i think everybody here is really really good and i think the film just works and i like rushmore that was uh, wes anderson's second film and the one that kind of got him a lot of acclaim when it came out i like it it's a really good film and i like the other wes anderson films that have come after rush uh, after Roland Tenenbaums, um with some mixed results i didn't care for the darjeeling limited as much um i like moonrise kingdom I did really like uh, the uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, but I, I, I come back to Roll of Tenenbaums all the time and say that to me is the perfect Wes Anderson film, and to me it's a downright perfect film in general. I just love the music. I love the acting. I love uh, the, the dialogue. I love the scripting. I mean, just everything works, and any movie that's got at least two moments where I, I get a little I get a verklempt, you know, <laughs> watching and uh, – sure. You know, I had to kind of prep my wife when she was watching with me. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to come really close to losing it here in just a minute on the next scene. Just to give you a heads up. Hmm. And it's just, I don't know. It just works for me. It's just such a great film. So if you, if it's not one you've ever checked out or 
you've seen some other Wes Anderson films, but don't know if this is for you. No, you need to go see this film. It is a glorious film. I need to revisit it. I've seen it. I think I've only actually seen it once. It was in the theater. I did yeah. really like it, but I mentioned on a previous podcast that I was reading that Wes Anderson book where it goes through all his films mm -hmm. And it made me really want to revisit specifically the Royal Tannenbaum. So I really need to check it out again. So just, yes, just watch it once again to just absorb it as a whole. Then watch it a second time shortly after that. And just pay attention to details, pay attention to the little Dalmatian mice everywhere in the scenes, pay attention to the layout of things in rooms. And it's just, Oh my gosh, such a great movie. Cool. So, so good. So that's my recommendation. I may have mentioned it before, and if I did, I apologize, but I'm recommending it again. So, Chris, what have you got for us? I'm going to recommend a documentary, and mm -hmm. um, the reason I'm recommending it is, unfortunately, this guy also just passed away. Um, his name is Bill Cunningham. Oh, yeah. He was a photographer mm. in New York City, and he photographed fashion. And in 2010, I made a documentary called Bill Cunningham, New York. And it's simple. They just talk to him about why does he have this passion for photography? Why does he have a, specifically a passion for photographing fashion? Mm -hmm. And then not only that, but not going to like runway shows, and all that, but photographing people just on the street mm -hmm. dressed up in fashion and just how he goes about his life is kind of a really stripped down, simple existence. He rides this like rickety bike everywhere. And just, mm -hmm. he was such an interesting individual kind of, Reminded me a lot of ways the documentary a couple of years ago, but after 2010, that Finding Vivian Mayer. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But it was a kind of a, but like she was an unknown photographer, mm -hmm. and then they discovered all these pictures and how she would frame things. He's obviously well known. They made a documentary about him, but his contribution just to photography and um, was just really cool. And prior to this documentary, I'd never heard of him. Mm -hmm. So um, if you heard it in the news, this guy passed away, and you're like, Who, who's that? I recommend checking out uh, Bill Cunningham, New York. It's yeah, that's right. actually one I've never checked out. I need to, I need to watch, especially I did hear about the passing in the last few days as well. So kind of a very timely pick on that. And so. he's, uh, it is, a, it's not you know, on Netflix, but it is in iTunes. So you can rent it now, Lee. So good. All right. Well, that is our show for today. We reviewed the film, The Phenom, and we had a quick impromptu rant session about Now You See Me Too. <laughs> We talked about Warcraft. We talked about Spider-Man in the news section. We talked about, um, gosh, uh, Anton Nelchin yeah. passing. I mean, just a lot of news items. And then we wrapped up our reviews with Bill Cunningham, New York. as a documentary. We're checking out a very timely documentary to see now. And then me just imploring everybody to please see the Royal Tenenbaums if you have not. And uh, uh, because I do believe it's pretty darn close to a masterpiece and one of my absolute favorite films right now. So I would agree with that. With that, uh, that is our show for today. You have been listening to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv. Uh, if you uh, needed to go back and listen to any other episodes, you got them right there on the Mesh.tv website. And Chris, they can also contact us. And what do you recommend they do in terms of trying to reach out to us? Jot us an email at info at the Mesh.tv. Just mention questions you have about the show, movies you want us to review, or something we got wrong in a review. If you're a big fan of Now You See Me Too, let us know about it. Al and I are also both on Letterboxd, where we write quick reviews of movies and kind of keep up with what we're watching. Sometimes Alan updates his uh, recommendation list on there. Yeah, sometimes yeah. not. Not very, not very often. <laughs> um, also, we are Foot Candle Film Society, as well as we do this Foot Candle podcast, but we have a film society, and we are putting on our second annual 
Film Festival, which will be in September. It'll be September 23rd through the 25th. Yes. We're going to be announcing the lineup soon. Soon. And tickets will be available as well soon. So uh, keep your eyes out for that. Yeah, we would love to have you come join us in Western North Carolina in the last weekend of September. Uh, if you're a listener of the show and you think you might want to come out to the festival, let us know. Drop us a note. Uh, we'd be happy to meet you and uh, uh, hook you up with some tickets to the festival, I'm sure, that for that weekend as well, if you want to come see a couple shows. And not only will we be screening, obviously, movies, but we hope to have a lot of filmmakers in attendance. So yeah. it be fun. should it be a be lot fun. of fun. We're very, very excited about it. September 23rd through the 25th of 2016 will be the second annual Foot Candle Film Festival. So, great. Please reach out to us, and we'll have another episode coming out very, very soon. So, thanks a lot for your time. See you in the ticket line. And to quote Royal Tenenbaum, let's shag ass. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.